What comes to mind when you think of the church? Is it community, worship, or hearing God's word? The church is all of these things. Jesus teaches that his followers will overflow with his joy. The church is God's community. It's where the joy of heaven invades the sadness of earth, no matter what happens in the world around us. The empty tomb gives us a reason to celebrate. Hopelessness is a lie. Pain is temporary. Darkness is defeated. And we're called to invite everyone to experience the eternal party God is throwing. You are invited to First Church. Well, hey, welcome to First Church. If you're new, my name's Chad, and we are so excited that you chose to worship with us on this Labor Day weekend. In addition to this great crowd we have on site, especially for a holiday weekend, we have a bunch of people joining us down at our modern hymn service, so welcome to you guys, and also a ton of people worshiping online. I just saw that we've got Jeff in Dallas, Texas, Becky in Rocky Mountain National Park, Rick in Wisconsin, a whole bunch of other people worshiping with us online. So if you are here in the room today, would you put your hands together? Welcome in our online family. Let them know we're glad to have them. And like I said, it is Labor Day weekend, and I don't know what comes to mind when you think about Labor Day, but a lot of things uh, I associate with Labor Day. For one thing, food. We're having a bunch of food today. You guys are welcome to stay afterwards. Matt just talked about that, or your host talked about that. And so we're excited for you to stay for our Labor Day cookout. But I think about grilling out like hamburgers or steaks or chicken on the grill or even hot dogs. And I don't know about you, but the best place, in my opinion, to get a hot dog is at a ballpark. I'm not sure if you saw this video, but this kid, he got a hot dog at a ballpark and didn't, he didn't have a whole lot of luck with it. Take a look. Ballpark, and sure enough, our crew gets a shot of the hot dog. Oh, no! Oh, no! Oh, no! Oh, oh the horrors! Oh, the humanity! <laughs> So hopefully if you get a hot dog this weekend, it won't end up on the ground. You can actually enjoy it unlike that little kid. But I think about food. I also think about games when it comes to Labor Day because a lot of people spend some time outside. So throwing out a Frisbee or a football or maybe even horseshoes or playing a game of cornhole. Any cornhole fans? Let me hear you. All right. Yeah, I got some cornhole fans. Well, our staff... Some of them, after our epic football competition we had last week, decided that they wanted to keep the competition going. And so a few of them got together and had their own little cornhole tournament in order of Labor Day, in honor of Labor Day. And so I want to share with you what happened. Take a look at this. Jay and Jay back again for another riveting round of competition. Cornhole? Well, our players still haven't recovered from football last week. <laughs> then let's toss bags. Vision grandioso, prophetic tendencies, see my fantasies while I sleep, I'm so close. I make big moves, all I see is success. You can rate me or you'll hate me, either way I got next. Fun fact, when the bag goes through the hole, it's called cornhole. Casey conceding that round, Jake's moving on. Well, Jake is the boss of the toss. Oh! 
Jake, Jake Falls, can I have a word with you, please? How do you feel about that big win in your round? You know, I'm just glad to be asked to play cornhole. Um, it's just an honor to be asked and be part of the team. Who uh, day? All right, Jay, I'm here with James. Now, James, you're going into the championship round. What's your strategy here? 100%. Championship round underway. Jake bringing out the Bengals bags. Well, shuck me, put me in a bag, and toss me in a hole, because that was a great shot. Ooh, James not able to pull out the win. That means Jake is the cornhole king. Jake is the boss of the toss. Yeah, that was a whole lot of fun to watch. I'm glad I wasn't part of that video. But, you know, there's a lot of things that I think about when it comes to Labor Day, whether it's food or games. I also think about, you know, going to a park. Some of you may think about going to a lake, maybe some patriotic celebrations. Maybe you think about, I don't know, Labor Day sales, like furniture store sales. You know, I don't know what comes to mind. But there are a lot of things that we associate Labor Day with. And one thing that always comes to my mind is family. Because growing up as a kid, we would always travel to my dad's hometown where he was from because he moved away. And we would visit my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, my cousins there. And it was always a fun time with family. And I remember as we would go back to my dad's hometown, he would typically reminisce a little bit. And he would say, you know, that's where we used to hang out and do that. Or we used to play this game in the backyard. And we used to go ride our bikes down here. And he would tell me all these stories. Because for him, it was refreshing and it was fun to go back home. But some of you guys know from experience that going back home isn't always fun. And that was the case for Jesus in Mark chapter six. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app on your phone or tablet, that's where we're gonna be today is Mark chapter six. As Jesus decides to go with his disciples back to his hometown, a little town called Nazareth. Now, here's the thing. Jesus was born in a little town called Bethlehem. We hear about that around Christmas time. But Jesus wasn't raised in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. And Nazareth was a little small town in Jesus' day, probably about 500 people or less. Everybody would have known one another. And it was kind of a backwards podunk kind of town. And I don't say that to be insulting. It just didn't have a great reputation in this day and age. In fact, if Jesus hadn't been from there, Nazareth probably would have been lost to history. We probably wouldn't even know that it ever existed because there wasn't a whole lot of good news, really any news at all, that came out of Nazareth. And so Jesus leaves Nazareth, not because he's embarrassed of it, but because he's got a mission to carry out. He's got to take the good news out to the world. And so Jesus takes his disciples on this preaching tour, and he goes from village to village, town to town, telling people the good news of God, and also performing these amazing miracles. I mean, he's done some astonishing, incredible miracles, like healing a man who had leprosy, healing someone else who was paralyzed, bringing a little girl back from the dead. I mean, how cool would that be to witness that. I mean, he has calmed storms at this point. He even healed a woman who had been suffering with bleeding for 12 years, and he heals her when none of the doctors could give her any help whatsoever. Jesus has gone from town to town, village to village, performing some incredible miracles and preaching like nobody has ever preached before. And then he turns to his disciples and says, I want to go back to my hometown, the town of Nazareth. And we pick up in Mark chapter 6, 
And the scripture says this, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue there, and many who heard him from his hometown were amazed. Now, I'm sure that when the disciples heard that Jesus was going to go back to his hometown, they probably thought this is going to be a homecoming unlike any other. Because like I said, not a lot of news came out of Nazareth, especially good news. In fact, Nazareth was kind of a running joke in this day and age. In fact, when Jesus first called his disciples, one of his disciples, when he heard Jesus from Nazareth, said this. This was his comment. He said, can anything good come from Nazareth? It did not have a great reputation. And so for Jesus to be this prominent figure now, I mean, word is spreading everywhere about Jesus, and people are talking about his miracles, and people are talking about what he's teaching, and rumors are spreading, and people are saying, we think he's a prophet sent from God, and others are saying, maybe he might even be the long-awaited Messiah. I mean, Jesus has become a celebrity in this area doing all this great work, and word has already gotten back to Nazareth about what Jesus is doing. In fact, at one point, uh, Jesus' mother and brothers go to another town to see him, and the crowds are so big, they couldn't even get an audience with him. They couldn't even get around him because Jesus is so popular and so many people were surrounding him. Word has gotten back to his hometown about what he's been doing. And so I'm sure Jesus' disciples are probably thinking, this is going to be a homecoming unlike any other because there's not a lot of news, especially good news that comes out of Nazareth. And Jesus is going to put Nazareth on the map. I'm not sure if you recognize this guy right here, but this is Noah Thompson. He's the winner of this year's, this past season's American Idol. Now, some of you guys might be wondering or might be thinking, American Idol is still on TV? Yeah, it is. They're in their like 83rd season or something like that. But yeah, it's been on for a long time, but Noah, Noah Thompson, just won it. And I bring him up because Noah is from a little small town that you've probably never heard of. It's from a little town called Louisa, Louisa, Kentucky. I know Louisa because I've been to Louisa multiple times. Allison has family that lives in Louisa. She has a cousin that teaches high school there who actually taught Noah Thompson. And my dad used to work in Louisa. I've been to Louisa multiple times, but if you're not from that area, you don't know that Louisa exists. It's a really, really small town. And what I love is Noah didn't even want to go on American Idol, but he had a buddy who said, you know, you can sing, and his buddy signed him up. And so he decided to show up. He made it through the initial auditions, and he ended up winning the entire thing. And during the American Idol finals, he came back to his hometown, and they threw him a homecoming unlike any other. There were parades in the streets. I mean, they named a road after him. They even had a free concert at the local high school, and the entire town came out. I mean, that's what you do when you're proud of a hometown kid who makes it big, who brings, brings good attention to your small little town. And we would think that that would be the type of reception, the type of homecoming that Jesus would receive when he came back to Nazareth after being gone for a while. And at first, he seems to get that, but it doesn't last very long. Did you notice what the reaction was to the people there at first? It says in Mark chapter 6 that he began to teach in the synagogue. So that was a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big honor. It's a Sabbath day. They let him teach in the synagogue as a guest teacher. So that's a big honor, a big privilege. 
and many who heard him from his hometown were amazed. In other words, what they're saying is the rumors about this guy is true. I mean, the rumors about Jesus are true. He's got it. I mean, he's got something going on. This guy is special. And so they're amazed at what he's teaching. But remember what I said, their amazement doesn't last very long because they begin to question him. Look at what they say next. As everything starts to come together and they process that this is the same Jesus that grew up in their small town. They say, where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Now, I want you to notice two words here, this man. Don't even call him by name. They know who he is. There's 500 or less people who live in this town right now. They know everybody by name in this little town. And here in just a second, when we read on, we're going to find out that they call out Jesus' brother's names. They say his brother's by name. They talk about that his mother's name was Mary. They knew exactly who he was. But what are they doing by saying this man, not calling Jesus by name? They're dismissing him. And why are they dismissing him? Not because they questioned his preaching. They were amazed by that. Not because they questioned his power. You couldn't deny the miracles he was doing. They didn't question his preaching or his power. What they questioned was his pedigree. What they questioned was where he came from, which is where they were from. Notice what they say. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Now, that Greek word offense means to trip or stumble over. It's the idea of you can't get through or past something because there's something in your way. They couldn't actually accept Jesus for who he was. They couldn't see him for who he was because there was something in their way that they were stumbling over. I coach soccer, little kids soccer, and a lot of times what I like to do is teach them some ball handling drills. And by handling, you don't use your hands, use your feet, of course. But I'll put cones out, and I will have the kids dribble around and through cones. And there's just one little boy that I coach, and he struggles a whole lot, but he tries hard, and he's hilarious too. But every time I put cones out, he's either tripping over the cone, or he's stumbling over the cone, or he hits the cone with his ball. And the other day, we were doing these drills, and he was dribbling the ball with his feet and he came up and he actually got around the cone and he was so excited that he got around the cone with the ball that he lost his balance and he fell anyway and he fell over top of the ball rather than the cone and when he got up, this is what he did. He stared at that cone and he goes, boom, just like that because he was mad at the cone and I remember watching that laughing on the inside but laughing and thinking, the cone didn't do anything. It's all you. The cone didn't move. The cone has been the same the entire time. You knew where it was. The problem isn't the cone. The problem is in you. And you've got to learn to overcome that. See, in this moment, Jesus hadn't changed. Jesus wasn't teaching anything that he hadn't taught in other villages, and they were accepting him. Jesus wasn't doing anything that he hadn't already been doing. He was Jesus. They were stumbling over him. The problem wasn't him, the problem was them. And so they stumble over him in this moment. And did you notice why they stumbled over him? His pedigree, remember? Isn't this the carpenter? 
Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? Notice these descriptions that they give him. They don't call him by name, but they first say, isn't this the carpenter, a.k.a. isn't he just a carpenter? Because in this day, being a carpenter was a common job, a commoner's job. He's nobody special. He's nobody significant. He's not royalty. He's not nobility. He's just a carpenter. How can he be a prophet sent from God? How can he be the possible Messiah? We know how he was raised. We know how he was trained. We know what he does for a living. How can this guy be who he claims to be? Notice what else they said. Isn't this Mary's son? Now that's interesting. Because in this day and age, in the Jewish world, you did not associate somebody by their mother's name. You associate somebody by their father's name. Now, you might be thinking, well, maybe Joseph is dead by this point. Because we know Joseph died when Jesus was young. But even at that, you still would associate somebody by their father's name, even if they'd already passed away. Unless you weren't sure who, who, who his daddy really was. You see, I bet you nobody in this small little town is buying the virgin birth story. Mary knew what the angel told her. Joseph knew what the angel told her. But do you think anybody else is buying that Mary got pregnant as a virgin and that the baby inside of her was from the Holy Spirit? Do you think anybody else is buying that? I bet there were rumors about Mary her entire life and rumors for that matter about Jesus and everybody always wondered who his daddy really was. And here's the thing. They didn't have the Maury Povich show in this day and age to take him on there and figure out who the daddy was, okay? Everybody just guessed. And they dismissed him because if he was really from God, we would know where he came from. But then something else, they say, don't we know his brothers and his sisters? In other words, I played football with his brothers. I took his sister to the high school prom, and she's crazy. There's no way that the Messiah could come from that family. We know who they are. They're dismissing him because he's too much like them. Interesting, isn't it? See, they started to take him for granted because they were too familiar with him. And you've probably heard the saying, familiarity breeds contempt. But it doesn't just breed contempt, it also leads to apathy and rejection. Because they end up overlooking him and overlooking what he wanted to do in their midst. And here's a truth that I've had to learn the hard way. And maybe you've learned it as well. And it's this. When you become too familiar with God, you end up missing the power of God in your life. And that's exactly what happens in this passage. Read on. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Now catch this. The passage starts off with the people being amazed at Jesus' teaching abilities. And the passage ends with Jesus being amazed at the people's lack of of faith. And what was the result of their lack of faith? 
There's this really interesting line here in the text. It says in verse 5, it says, He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that last part, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them, that's kind of a big deal. You know, we don't, we don't see that all the time. And so if we saw somebody laying hands on people and they were healing them of sicknesses and diseases, that's pretty cool. But what is this letting us know? Jesus wanted to do more than that. Jesus had greater plans for Nazareth. Jesus wanted to put God's power on display in their lives in a way that was greater than just that. And yet, he couldn't do it. Now, that's why this line here is also a little awkward because it says he could not do any miracles. We're not used to reading passages in the Bible where it says that Jesus or God can't do something or couldn't do something? Is that like a typo or what? I mean, why, is, why does it say that? Because can't God do anything? Technically, yes, God can do anything. He is fully sovereign. But here's the thing. When God created our world, the physical world, he chose to divinely self-limit himself so that he would not compromise our free will. He chose to operate through divine sovereign self-limitation. This is what I mean by that. Can God do anything? Yes. Can God sin? No. You know why? Because sin goes against his holy nature. Can God do anything? Yes. Can God tell a lie? The Bible says God can't lie. You know why? Because he is fully truth. Lying goes against his nature. So can God do anything? Yes. But he chooses to live in such a way, to exist in such a way, where he divinely self-limits himself so that he doesn't compromise his own nature. And here's the thing. This is what's happening in this passage. Jesus wanted to do more, but Jesus is not going to force himself on anyone. Jesus will do everything he possibly can to convict our hearts, but it's got to be our choice to follow him. Jesus will not override our unbelief because Jesus knows that if somebody is forced to follow, it's not really following. See, forced love isn't real love. Forced, a forced relationship isn't a healthy relationship. Forced obedience isn't a willing obedience. It's not something that's done out of love. You see, forced faithfulness isn't genuine faithfulness. If it's forced, then it's not from the heart. And God wants us to really love him, to want to follow him, to want to have a relationship with him because he knows that's what's real. So he will do everything he possibly can to convict our hearts, but he's not going to override our unbelief. The choice is ours. And so, let me ask you, what choice are you making today? Because I believe with all of my heart that God wants to do more within our generation, more within our culture than what he is doing right now. But he's waiting on us to say yes to him. He's waiting on us to say, God, we're willing to follow you wherever you want to take us. But here's what happens a lot of times. What happens is we end up taking God for granted. And what we take for granted is eventually taken away. And that's what happens in our passage right here. 
Jesus wants to do more in Nazareth, but he doesn't. He's only able to heal a few people, like that's a minor thing, but he's only able to do that when he wanted to do more. And let me ask you, what does God want to do in your life right now, but he's unable to do it because you are unwilling? Let me pose it like this. Let me put it like this. Are you allowing God's work in your life to be hindered by familiarity? Let me put it another way just to make sure that you get it. Are you taking the presence of God in your life for granted? Because it is easily done. And sometimes we do it without even realizing it. I was having a conversation just the other day with a guy who's studying for ministry and he made a statement and he didn't mean anything by this. I mean, I've heard this statement a lot. I probably said it at one point, honestly. But he said, you know, it's just a lot easier to reach people in the, in the Bible belt, isn't it? And I stopped him and I said, I don't know about that. I think it's a challenge to reach people in any situation if they are far from God. But here's the thing about the Bible Belt. Everybody assumes that they're a Christian. Everybody assumes that they know who Jesus is. But, and this is what I told him, there is a seismic difference between recognizing Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus. Just because you recognize him doesn't mean you have a relationship with him. And here's the thing, when you recognize who Jesus is and you think that you're good with him, you think that you know him, it may never occur to you that you're not. It may never occur to you that you don't have the relationship with him that he wants to have with you. And so what ends up happening is you stop listening to him. And even though he is present in your life, he doesn't have the presence in your life he wants to have. What happens is we end up looking at Jesus like we're looking at him through the wrong end of a telescope. He's much smaller in our lives than what he actually wants to be. And when you declaw the lion of Judah and turn him into a nice fuzzy little house cat... He doesn't, he's not able to work in your life the way he wants to because you think you can tell him what to do. You think you can push him around. You think you can call the shots because you think everything is good. And it never occurs to you that it might not be. For years, makers of laundry detergent have advertise that they could make your whites whiter than white and your clothes cleaner than clean. In fact, what does Tide say? If it's gotta be clean, it's gotta be Tide, right? And here's the thing, there was some research that was done not too long ago where they put cameras in people's laundry rooms. The people knew about this, but they wanted to observe their laundry habits. And you know what the researchers discovered? Is that when people pulled their laundry out after having it washed and clean, very few of them, the small, small minority would actually like hold their whites up to the light to see if it was whiter than before or would examine their clothes to make sure that it was good and clean. But you know what the overwhelming majority of people did when they looked at their laundry? They would smell it. And it led laundry detergent makers to realize that actually the scent of their detergent was more important than actually getting the clothes clean. Simon Sinek, who's an author and researcher, he made this observation. He said, feeling clean was more important to people than being clean. And sometimes in life, when we feel like we're good, feel like we're good with Jesus, we don't see the areas in our lives where we're not. It reminds me of a moment when Jesus was speaking to a crowd in Matthew chapter 15, remember this? And Jesus looks at this crowd and he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, they say they know me. 
They say they worship me. They say they're my people, but I know what's going on on the inside and their hearts are far from me. And after Jesus makes this statement to the crowds, some of his disciples come to him a few verses later and they say, then the disciples came to him and asked, did you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Why were the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, offended? Because they're looking at Jesus saying, what do you mean we don't know you? What do you mean our hearts are far from you? We've known about God since we were little. I mean, we grew up in Sunday school and we went to vacation Bible school. And my granddaddy was an elder at our church. I mean, what are you talking about? We know who God is. How dare you tell us we don't know who God is? And Jesus saying, but I'm God in flesh. And you don't know me. You think you do. But you really don't. See, sometimes when you get too familiar with God, he becomes commonplace. And familiarity with Jesus can create blindness to his greater purpose for your life. Do you know how you know that you're too familiar with Jesus? You become too familiar with Jesus, he's just become commonplace. You know what he wants for your life and you do the opposite. God, I know you don't want me to sleep with somebody I'm not married to, but I'm gonna do it anyway. God, I know you don't want me going to those websites, but I'm gonna do it anyway. God, I know you don't want me cheating or lying or cutting corners, but I'm gonna do it anyway. God, I know you want me coming clean, but I'm not gonna come clean. God, I know you want me to forgive that person that I need to forgive, but I'm not gonna do it. God, I know you want this, I know you want that, but I'm not going to do it. And when you're at that point, when that regularly, consistently happens, God has just become commonplace. He's your fuzzy little furry house cat that you can push around and tell what to do rather than the line of Judah who holds the cosmos in his hands. A diminished view of Jesus leads to a diminished life. And you miss what he wants to do in your life. See, those who knew Jesus best in the town of Nazareth took him for granted. So much so, look at the end result. Luke's gospel tells us, and all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things that Jesus was saying. And they got up and they drove him out of the city. They ran him out of town. This is their hometown kid who's doing miracles everywhere, who's teaching people everywhere. Everywhere he goes, thousands of people are flocking to him and people are saying he might be a prophet sent from God, he might even be their long-awaited Messiah and he comes back to his hometown and they run him out of town. Not only that, Luke goes on to tell us that some of them tried to kill him because familiarity leads to rejection and they fully rejected him. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be so familiar, so comfortable with Jesus that I miss what he wants to do in my life. As I read through this passage and studied this passage this week, this thought just kept coming to my mind. I don't want God's work in my life to be hindered because I've become too familiar with him. Do you? And here's the thing. I want for that to be our mindset as a church as well. 
Because we talk all the time about God is, how God is doing phenomenal things in our midst, how God is working in this place in ways beyond our abilities and beyond our imaginations. And it is incredible what God is doing here at First Church. I mean, last Sunday, we had our largest attendance of the year outside of Easter Sunday. I mean, that's great and that's awesome. And we're seeing lives changed all the time, people baptized in the Christ. Our next-gen ministries are exploding. We're supporting more and more mission partners. I mean, we are seeing God work in this place in an incredible way and here's the thing what is happening in this place is not common what is happening in this place is of God and we don't need to lose sight of that we have people that will attend church here and they'll move because of their jobs and they'll go somewhere else because of their jobs and so they start looking for another church somewhere else and our staff hears this all the time people will call back to us or email us and they'll say we had no idea just how special first church was Because God is doing some phenomenal things here. But when it becomes commonplace, when we start to just get used to it and think that this is just normal or maybe it's just of us, then we start to complain about things that really don't matter to God. And we start to tear things down when God is doing good things all around us. Now, I'm not saying this is happening, but I'm preaching about it before it happens so it doesn't happen, okay? But we start to hear things like, oh, man, I couldn't find a parking spot. And that's just ridiculous. We got too many people going to that church because I can't find a parking spot anymore. <laughs> I cannot believe that we ran out of coffee and donuts. I mean, I, I just, why am I even coming if I can't get my coffee and donuts? I mean, can't believe it. You realize I went to church and it was all new people sitting around me? I didn't recognize any of them. Like, that's a problem, you know? <laughs> so I came to church and nobody really talked to me. And I'm like, well, did you talk to anybody? Well, no, but nobody talked to me, you know? And we start to complain about the smallest little things when God is doing a phenomenal, incredible work all around us and we can't see it because like the cone, we're stumbling over what he's doing. See, I don't wanna be so comfortable and get so familiar with what God is doing in this place that I start to take it for granted. Because you know what happens When we take it for granted, remember what I said? It's taken away from us. That's what happened in the passage. If you read on Mark chapter six, it says, then Jesus went to other villages. Other villages. Let's say that again. Other villages. In that area and taught. And he called his 12 followers together and got ready to send them out two by two. Jesus' work wasn't finished. Jesus wasn't done. Jesus didn't go back to his hometown and they rejected him, ran him out of town. Some tried to kill him and say, well, I'm done. This isn't what I signed up for. Jesus wasn't finished. He had work to be done. And he said, if Nazareth isn't going to accept me, then I'm gonna go somewhere else that will. And he went other places and he did phenomenal works in those places, even to the point that he sends out his disciples to go take out the good news to other places because Jesus knew he had a message that the world needed to hear. Jesus wasn't finished yet and if Nazareth wasn't going to accept him, he was gonna go to other villages. When we start to take God for granted in our lives or in our church, his work isn't finished. He just will move on to those who are willing to accept him and willing to let him work in their lives. You see, Jesus works in the lives of those who know they need him. Nazareth almost felt, almost acted as if they were entitled to Jesus rather than being excited about him. 
Let me ask you today, are you living a life that shows you need Jesus? Do people around you know just how much you need Jesus? And even more than that, are you letting God know how much you need him? Because I believe with all of my heart that God wants to display his life-changing power in your life. But the question is, are you going to accept him? Or are you just gonna treat him like something common? It's no big deal. Even to the point that you start to push him away because you can't see what he wants you to see. On this Labor Day weekend, as we as a country take a moment to hit pause, take a break from our work and think about some things, I want you to really examine your relationship with Jesus because recognizing him is not the same as having a relationship with him. And is there more that he wants to do in your life? But he's not able to do it because you're treating him like something too common. That's my challenge. It's a pretty big one. But I think if we answer the right way, get ready. Because in this village, in this church, in our lives, we're gonna see the power of God on display like never before. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this moment we've had to open up your word and study it, and I pray that as we receive this message from your word, that your spirit would convict our hearts and speak to us this morning through your word so that we will not just walk away from this, this passage that we've looked at but that we will allow for it to actually change us, convict us, pierce us. Because Father, I believe with all of my heart that God, that you, God, want to do so much more in the lives of the people in our community, but sometimes the reason why it's not happening is because we aren't open to you. So Father, may we never become too familiar with you. But Father, may we be ready for you to work in our lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. So are you walking in a close relationship with Jesus? We believe that God wants to do great things in your life and through your life, but it takes that relationship with him. And if you don't know Christ, if you don't know him, we would love to have that conversation with you. Right afterwards, I'll be down front. Chad will be down here momentarily. There's a team at the hub. We'd love to have that conversation with you to help you take a next step in your faith, all right? And man, we're so glad you're here to hear this message today. Now it's time to go eat. <laughs> Hey, we've got uh, pulled pork sandwiches for adults. We've got hot dogs for the kids. It's all out in the gathering area. And uh, we've had a team of people here since 7 a.m. So be sure to appreciate them when you're out there. But there is seating out on the back patio. There's seating under a tent out back. This is a day for us not only to eat, but to connect, meet people. If you don't know the people sitting at your table, introduce yourself, get to know one another and meet new people that are a part of your church family, all right? Hey, again, we're glad that you're here today. As we leave this place, let's go be the church. Let's go love Jesus and love like Jesus and take your communion cups with you. Thank you.